Indeed, amen. And I'm going to ask you to please remain standing out of honor for God's word. Take your Bibles and turn to Mark's gospel, Mark chapter 13. Scripture reading today is going to begin in verse 24, and I'm going to read through verse 31. Verses 24 through 31, you already know by now what what we have in Mark 13. This is what is called the Olivet Discourse. Christ is on the Mount of Olives, uh, and he's speaking to his disciples. That's why it's called the Olivet Discourse. Uh, He has already told them that that the temple is going to be destroyed. Not one stone is going to be left upon another. And they ask him, when? When when is this going to happen? That's our answer before us now in this text. And so beginning in verse 24, we read this. But in those days after that tribulation... The sun will be darkened, and the moon will not give its light, and the stars will be falling from heaven, and the powers that are in the heavens will be shaken. And then they will see the Son of Man coming in clouds with great power and glory. And then he will send forth the angels and will gather together his elect from the four winds, from the farthest end of the earth to the farthest end of heaven. Now learn the parable from the fig tree. When its branch has already become tender and puts forth its leaves, you know that summer is near. Even so, you too, when you see these things happening, recognize that he is near right at the door. Truly, I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all these things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we do indeed thank you for this wonderful text that is before us today. We thank you, Lord, for all 66 books of the Bible and recognizing that you have given this for our instruction, recognizing that this is truth. And so, Lord, we ask that as your word is preached, we ask that your Holy Spirit would lead us into the way of truth, that your Holy Spirit would give us understanding for your glory and for the good of your people, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You may please be seated. I have a, a book in my library at, at home. And the title of the book is this. The second, I'm sorry, The New Temple and the Second Coming. The subtitle is The Prophecy That Points to Christ's Return in Your Generation. The author is a man named Grant Jeffrey. I don't know if any of you have ever heard of Grant Jeffrey. I had never heard of him. Uh, but the book jacket says this. Grant Jeffrey is the internationally known author of The Next World War and more than 20 other best-selling books. His popular TV program, Bible Prophecy Revealed, airs twice a week on the Trinity Broadcast Network. As you can probably guess by the title of the book, and again, the title is The New Temple and the Second Coming. As you can guess from that title, Jeffrey claims that the new third temple is about to be rebuilt. Remember, the first temple was built by Solomon around 1000 B.C., uh, and it was destroyed by the Babylonians. 
And then after that, when the Jews returned from their Babylonian captivity, they, they began building what is the second temple, uh, basically finished by, by Herod. And the second temple, or Herod's temple, is the temple that was there at the time of Christ. It, of course, is gone. And so Jeffrey says a third one is about to be built. In fact, Jeffrey boldly proclaims this, quote, You and I, you and I, are, are part of the generation that will live to see a temple of God once again stand in Jerusalem, the spiritual crossroads of the world. And on the back uh, of the book are these words, an array of new archaeological finds and revealing discoveries lead to a stunning, stunning conclusion. The generation alive today will witness the return of Christ. And he goes on and he says this, the evidence is breathtaking. Jewish authorities are preparing to rebuild the temple in Jerusalem. Quietly, they have recovered lost artifacts from the ancient temple and have recreated sacred worship vessels. The new Sanhedrin, now reconvened in Israel, is training Levite priests to reinstate animal sacrifices. These remarkable developments have far-reaching prophetic significance. End of quote. By the way, the book Jacket also promises this. Dr. Jeffrey uncovers answers to questions that have perplexed students of prophecy for centuries. There is no doubt that this is truly the last generation. Well, how does he know? How can he be so certain of that? Well, in the preface of the book, I don't even have to read very far in the book. In the preface of the book, he states this, quote, the new temple and the second coming is the result of more than four decades of detailed research into the history of archaeology and prophetic future of the temple in Jerusalem. A lifetime of intense study of the scriptures, plus hundreds of books and interviewing dozens of archaeologists, uh, historians, and respected rabbis, all have provided me with valuable insights into the temple temples of God that have stood on the Temple Mount. As this book will demonstrate, still quoting, we are witnessing the fulfillment of the temple in our generation. The practical preparations to build the third temple are the clearest signs yet that we are rapidly approaching the time when the Messiah will return to set up his kingdom on earth. We are living in the generation that will witness the second coming. Men and women, how many times have we heard this? How many times over the years have we heard this? I thought Hal Lindsey said the 1980s was the countdown to Armageddon. Perhaps I should mention that this book that I'm referring to was written almost 20 years ago. And therefore, time is running out for that statement to be true. They better get going on that, that, you know, on that second or third temple. They better get going on that for this to be true. And I was going to ask, when it is clear that he is wrong, and he is wrong, and that will be clear. When it is clear that he is wrong, do all of us who bought the book get a refund? 
Uh, I, I spent $14.99 for the book. Do I get a refund when it becomes clear that none of this is true? Well, I don't think so, because Grant Jeffrey died 12 years ago. So I don't think uh, there's any refund in it for, for me. But men and women, this is all part of what one man accurately refers to as last day's madness. And once again, I'd like to stress to you that no, the temple isn't going to be rebuilt. That's not going to happen. We keep hearing it, you know, and, and sensational things like what I just quoted to you, we keep hearing it all the time, but it's not going to happen. Because the destruction of it was the judgment of God for the very thing that we read in Luke chapter 19. I referred to it the last two weeks. I'll refer to it again right now. It's Luke chapter 19, verse 41 and following, where it says, When he, that's Christ, uh, approached Jerusalem, he saw the city and wept over it, saying, If you had known in this day, even you, the things which make for peace, but now they have been hidden from your eyes, for the days will come upon you when your enemies will throw up a barricade against you and surround you and hem you in on every side, and they will level you to the ground and your children within you, and they will not leave in you one stone upon another. Why? Because you did not recognize the time of your visitation. Here's their Messiah. They rejected him. Not only did they reject him, they crucified him. Again, the Olivet Discourse, the text that is before us right now, is not referring to the end of history, but to the destruction of the temple and God's judgment upon the Jews for rejecting their Messiah. Remember last week, I said that in this text, Jesus mentioned seven things. Seven things that will occur within 40 years from the time Jesus said it. Three of them we saw last week. Today we will see the remaining four. But I want you to see these points in their context. In their context. And to do this, you need to see first the scene. Then you need to see the problem. And then the answer. So first the scene. And you know it by now. I mean, remember, the scene before us, Jesus has just left the temple. This is in, in Matthew chapter 23, you see it. He's just left the temple. And when he leaves the temple for the last time, he said this, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, who kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to her, how often I wanted to gather your children together the way a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, and you were unwilling. Jesus is pronouncing judgment upon the Jewish leaders. And then he says this, Behold, your house, the temple, is being left to you desolate. And he goes out from the temple, and he tells his disciples, Do you not see all these things? Truly I say to you, not one stone will be left upon another, which will not be torn down. Now I told you last week, R.C. Sproul says about those words, hey, not one stone's going to be left upon another. R.C. Sproul says about that, he, he says, quote, they are what I consider the most astonishing prophecy and prediction ever uttered by a human being in all of history. He said, I consider it astonishing for two reasons. The first is that this prophecy would have astonished the original hearers because no one on the face of the earth apart from Jesus 
would expect the destruction of Jerusalem and the Herodian temple. Or that the Jews, God's chosen people, would be dispersed into all the world. No one would think that such a thing were possible. So those who heard this prediction uh, first would have been turned upside down by its astonishing content. The second astonishing thing about this prophecy, I'm still quoting him, is how it was fulfilled with such a high degree of accuracy and precision. Jerusalem was destroyed. The sacred temple was turned to ruins and the people of God were dispersed into all the nations of the world. It all happened just as he said. Well, now as he's sitting on the Mount of Olives, the disciples ask him when. When will these things be? And you know by now, Jesus gives a very clear answer. It's verse 30. Verse 30, truly I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all these things take place. Jesus mentions seven things that will take place within the life of one generation, within 40 years. Three of them we saw last week. And they were things like what we called, uh, remember, we called in tribulation signs, things like false Christ, earthquakes, uh, famines, persecutions, and so forth. And I told you last week that every time we have an earthquake here in California, modern evangelical Christians, just like Pavlov's dog, every time there's an earthquake, they say, oh, the return of Christ is, is right around the corner. It's going to happen any time. Just this week, I saw an example of that on Facebook. I'm part of a, of a group chat or whatever, uh, but a part of a group uh, for Speedway motorcycle racers and fans of Speedway and so forth. And uh, there's one guy uh, who was kind of a, uh, he was kind of the, the unofficial chaplain for Speedway motorcycle racing. And uh, he's moved out of the state now, as many have. And, uh, but he posted uh, in this group chat, he posted this. So I hear there are floods and earthquakes in California. Sounds kind of biblical. In other words, the implication is, hey, you guys get a clue. You know, there's flooding, there's earthquakes. Remember, we had an earthquake, uh, what, a week ago last Friday. Uh, you know, uh, I hear and there's earthquakes. Get a clue. Christ is about to return. But what caught my eye were the comments. Uh, one person writes, Hawaii had a rash, a rash of quakes too. In other words, boy, you bet there's, there's even earthquakes in Hawaii. Uh, another one, my son texted me this morning. He lives in Wisconsin, and they had two tornadoes touch down. The family had to go into the basement. In other words, Christ is he's about to return. Uh, another one, Oklahoma had a 5.1 earthquake. Florida had an earthquake. One person just put, come Lord Jesus. I mean, obviously the time is near. Come Lord Jesus. And then I noticed a comment from a guy, I know this guy, and he um, uh, certainly is not a Christian. And he posted this. Guys, California has several earthquakes every day. You can look at the USGS website. It will show you there is nothing different than normal. Don't fall for the clickbait. 
men and women, they're laughing at us. They're laughing at us uh, because we keep doing this. We keep doing this all the time. And so what I want to do is I want us all just to take a deep breath and, and just soberly look at what Christ says now in these verses. But that will bring up the second point that I want you to see. And that is what I'm calling the problem. And people, it's a huge problem. Gina and I, we like to watch magicians. And uh, we, we like to watch uh, um, uh, fool us, pen and teller fool us and stuff. And what we like to do, we know it's not magic. We know it's sleight of hand and so forth. We like to try to figure out, boy, how'd they do it? If we're watching it on television, sometimes we'll even stop it and reverse it and do a slow motion to try to see, how did this magician uh, do that? Well, years ago, we went to a, a magic show in, in Los Angeles. Uh, the magician's name was Steve Spill. Uh, an older guy, he'd been a magician for ages. And he wrote a book called, I like the title, he's a magician, and the title was I Lie for Money. And, uh, of course, I bought the book and had him autograph it, had to, had to do that. But uh, one of the points he makes in the book is this. We see what we expect to see. And, and the magician uses that fact to his or her advantage. That, that when they're doing their thing, we're seeing what we think we should see. And while we think we should see that, they do their little sleight of hand and whatever. Well, people, why mention that? Because that happens in our interpretation of the Bible also. We see what we expect to see. In my Bible, I have a New American Standard Bible, right before our text today, which is verse 24, right before that, your Bible might have it also, in bold print, mine uh, the translators have written the return of Christ. In other words, what follows here is the return of Christ. Well, why? Why do they put that there? Those words aren't inspired. Those words are the words of the interpreter, or the translators. Uh, why'd they put them there? They put them there because they are so sure, so sure that the text before us today, verses 24 and following, are referring to the second coming of Jesus Christ. And once you're convinced of that, it is hard to understand these verses in any other way. In fact, in the John MacArthur Study Bible, I looked at his explanation for verse 30. You know, that this generation will not pass away until all these things take place. Here's his explanation of verse 30. This cannot refer to the generation living at the time of Christ. Why not? I mean, everywhere else that phrase, this generation is used, it's referring to the generation alive at that time. Why cannot verse 30 be referring to the generation alive when Christ said that? Here's what he says. Because all these things, the abomination of desolation, the signs in the heavens, Christ coming on the clouds, the gathering of the elect, did not take place in their lifetime. People, I'm going to very respectfully disagree. And I'm going to say, yes, they did. All of them took place within 40 years from the time Christ said it. All of them happened before 70 
A.D. Look at these four things. Uh, they're part of Christ's answer to his disciples. And the first is what we'll call cosmic destruction. Look at verses 24 and 25. Verse 24, but in those days, after that tribulation, the sun will not be darkened. I'm sorry, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light. And the stars will be falling from heaven and the powers that are in the heavens will be shaken. Well, certainly that's future, right? No, not at all. Remember, one of the principles of interpreting the Bible is Scripture interprets Scripture. And when we look elsewhere in the Bible, we see that the Old Testament often speaks of the darkening of the sun and the moon and the stars in connection with judgment. For example, Isaiah chapter 13, verse 10. You don't need to turn there. I'm going to tell you what it says. Isaiah 13, verse 10 it's referring to judgment upon Babylon in uh, 539 B.C. And it says this, For the stars of heaven and their constellation will not flash forth their light. The sun will be dark when it rises, and the moon will not shed its light. That's judgment upon Babylon. Ezekiel 32, verse 7, this is judgment on Egypt in 568 B.C says, and when I extinguish you, I will cover the heavens and darken their stars. I will cover the sun with a cloud and the moon will not give its light. All the shining lights in the heavens, I will darken over you and I will set darkness on your land, declares the Lord. This judgment upon them. Joel chapter 2 verse 10. This is judgment, uh, judgment upon Judah. This is in 586 B.C. And a nation is going to invade Judah. And it says this. Before them the earth quakes. The heavens tremble. The sun and the moon grow dark. And the stars lose their brightness. It's judgment language. And that's what we have right here. That that God is going to bring down his judgment upon them. Using judgment language that is familiar Certainly to the Jews who know their Hebrew scripture. And you say, well, okay, all right. Verses 24 and 25 are referring to God's judgment. But what about the next thing we see? The coming of Christ on the clouds. Verse 26. Look at verse 26. He says, then they will see the Son of Man coming in clouds with great power and glory. Well, surely that's future, right? Men and women, if you have a New American Standard Bible, like I do, you'll notice those words. I don't know if your translation does it, but you'll notice, if you have a New American Standard, you'll notice that Son of Man coming in the clouds is in all uh, small capitals, uh, capital letters. And the New American Standard does that when it is a quote from the Old Testament. Then they put it in all small caps. People, that's a reference to Daniel chapter 7, verses 13 and 14. And what does Daniel 7 say? I'll tell you. It says, I kept looking in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, one like a son of man was coming. And he came up. 
to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion, glory, and a kingdom that all the people's nations and men of every language might serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which will not pass away. Men and women, that is a vision of the ascension of Christ going up to the Ancient of Days and is seating at the right hand of the Father. Well, you read on. Look at verse 27. Verse 27. And then he will send forth the angels and will gather together his elect from the four winds, from the farthest end of the earth to the farthest end of heaven. Well, what is this? People, that word angels, many of you know this. Uh, the Greek word is angelos. And angelos is properly translated either angels or messengers. Uh, and it's the context that determines whether it's angels or messengers. But it's either one. In fact, in Matthew chapter 11, in verse 10, um, John the Baptist is referred to as an angelos. But they don't say angel, they say messenger. It says that this is the one, referring to John the Baptist, about whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger, that's Angelos, uh, ahead of you, who will prepare your way before you. People, this is simply a reference to the elect being gathered uh, you know, from the four corners of the earth through the preaching uh, of the gospel by Christ's messengers. In fact, John 11. Remember John 11? We were there just a few months ago. John 11 is where with the Christ raises Lazarus from the dead. And you remember, it's such a phenomenal miracle. The, uh, the, the Pharisees are wondering, what are we going to do? Uh, you know, what do we do now if we just let this guy continue? Man, everybody's going to be following him. We have to do something. And the high priest says, yeah, boy, you're right. It's expedient that one die for the nation. We, in other words, this guy has to die. But then in John chapter 11, verse 51, it says this. Now, he did not say this on his own initiative, but being high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus was going to die for the nation. And not for the nation only, but in order that he might also, here it is, gather together into one the children of God who are scattered abroad. And how are the children of God gathered together? Through the preaching of Christ by his messengers. And that is what verse 27 is referring to. And all of those things took place before 70 AD. They all took place in one generation. And so Jesus says, let us learn. Verse 28. Now learn the parable from the fig tree. When its branch has already become tender, puts forth its leaves, you know that summer is near. Even so, you too, when you see these things happening, recognize that he is near right at the door. Truly, I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all these things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. Jesus emphatically says, my words will not pass away. If I said it, it will happen. And it did. Grant Jeffrey said, 
20 years ago. At this generation, we'll see the new temple rebuilt. He's wrong. Christ said all those things will take place within one generation, and he was right. Because his words will not pass away. And because some of you are probably wondering, verse 32 and following, Christ is now referring to his second coming. And when that will be, nobody knows but the Father. But the destruction of the temple and Christ coming upon them in judgment, he does know it's going to be within 40 years. And about the judgment upon Israel, Jesus says something in Matthew's gospel that Mark doesn't record. It's Matthew chapter 40, uh, I'm sorry, Matthew chapter 24, verse 30. Says this, And then the sign of the Son of Man will appear in the sky, and then all the tribes of the earth will mourn. Men and women, in Isaiah 19, verse 1, God is about to come upon Egypt in judgment. And Isaiah says this, Behold, the Lord is riding on a swift cloud and is about to come to Egypt. The idols of Egypt will tremble at his presence. That's judgment language. God wasn't really riding on a cloud. That's judgment language. And when this temple is destroyed, they will know that Christ is seated. At the right hand of the Father. That will be their sign. They will know he's seated at the right hand of the Father. And he is bringing down his judgment. And notice. When that happens. Christ says. And again this is in Matthew. Christ says all the tribes of the earth. Will mourn. Men and women that word earth. In Greek is gay. It's a gamma epsilon. Uh, it's, uh, for our purposes, it's, it's, uh, a G-E, gay. And it's properly translated either earth or land. And again, the context is what determines it. Translators, at least in my Bible, translate it earth. All the tribes of the earth will mourn. But people, what if it said all the tribes of the land will mourn? What's the land? The land is Israel. And by the way, the earth isn't divided into tribes. The earth is divided into nations. Israel is divided into tribes. What are you saying? And in, in Israel is going to mourn. When this happens, uh, they will mourn. They will know. That Christ is seated at the right hand of the Father. They will know that this is their judgment upon them. They will see. They will mourn. Which is why when Jesus was standing before Caiaphas. And Caiaphas said to him. This is just in Matthew 26. This is just two chapters later. And Caiaphas says to him. I adjure you by the living God. That you tell us whether you are the Christ. The son of God. And Jesus said to him. You have said it yourself. Nevertheless, I tell you, hereafter, you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of power and coming on the clouds of heaven. 
In other words, when the temple is destroyed, they will know. And they will mourn. And so men and women, how do we apply this to our lives today? Christ gives you the application in the remainder of the chapter. The remainder of the chapter is now referring to the second coming. And he says, be on the alert. The destruction of the temple is in our past. But the return of Christ is in our future. Christ says, be on the alert. Be ready. Your soul can be required of you at any time. Be ready. But Jesus said something else. He said in verse 28, learn. Learn from the fig tree, he said. Well, I'm going to say that I would like you to learn also. But there's two things that I want you to learn from. First, learn from the mistake of Israel. Their mistake was this. The Messiah came and they rejected him. They, they, they rejected him, and they suffer Christ's judgment as a result. And as a result of that judgment, they mourned. That word for mourned is kopto. It means literally beating the breast and the head. You know, it's, I mourned when San Francisco lost the Super Bowl. I mean, I just, oh, bummer. Uh, you know, I kind of mourned. Not a, not a big deal. This is a big deal. This is where you're so upset. You're beating your chest, beating your, your head. This is a serious crisis. This is the realization that they had. They had their chance. And now it's gone. And now it's judgment time. But I'll remind you that Paul says in Acts 17, verse 31, He says, God is now declaring that all people everywhere should repent. Why? Because he has fixed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness through a man whom he has appointed having furnished proof by raising him from the dead. This Christ, you reject him, he will one day be your judge. Men and women learn from Israel's mistake, flee to Christ. And the second thing in closing that I want to say is I want you to learn from a former member of this church. I first preached on Mark 13, I told you two weeks ago, I first preached on it 30 years ago, my first year here as pastor. And preaching it now 30 years later has made me kind of nostalgic and I've been thinking back to things and it reminded me of what happened the first time I preached it. There's a man in our church named Rit Conroy. Many of you know him. Many of you remember him. Rit and Gene Conroy, pillars of this church. And here I am, this 38-year-old pastor, and I preached this. It was all new to me at the time, but you know, I, I preached this and I remember he came to me and he said, you are a pre-terrorist. Now, the word is actually preterist, but pre-terrorist, okay, that, the accent is wrong. But, he, you know, in other words, he, you know, you're a, a preterist. Preterist means in the past. That, that these things, these events are in the past. He was upset. Uh, I mean, it rattled his cage, as perhaps it has rattled some of your cages, 
But the reason I bring him up is he disagreed with me vehemently in what I just proclaimed to you. He disagreed with me on Calvinism. He disagreed with me on soul sleep, which he believed and I don't. You know, he disagreed with me on so many things except the essence of the gospel. Except what Christ has accomplished uh, on the cross. And he treated me with such love and respect over the years that uh, I told Rit and Jean Conroy, uh, you were my Southern California parents. When Jean and I got married, uh, I had them sit at the, my, the, the family table. I had them sit with my parents and my sister uh, because they're like family to me. They're my Southern California parents. And yet he disagreed vehemently uh, with me on what I've just proclaimed to you. Men and women learn. Learn from Israel's mistake. Flee to Christ. But also learn from the example of Rit Conroy. That as far as it depends on you, let's be at peace with all men. And we can disagree uh, on these things. Uh, we can wrestle with these things. And yet, as we had in the, uh, for the confession earlier, as we had in the reading of the law, yet we treat each other with love and respect and we work toward unity to the glory of God and not uh, to fight over something like this. Learn. Learn from Israel's mistakes and learn from the example, the good example of Rick Conroy. Let's pray. Father in heaven, how, how grateful we are for these words. And Lord, indeed, uh, we can all agree that you are triumphant. That indeed, Jesus Christ is seated at your right hand. Indeed, he will come again to judge the quick and the dead. And Lord, we pray that we won't make the same mistake that Israel made, that we won't reject Christ, but instead we'll flee to him. And we do pray, Lord, that in all these things, that we will treat each other as more important than ourselves, that we will work toward the unity of the brethren and to love. Lord, we thank you and we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.